pies come in all shapes, round, triangular, trapezoidal, rolled and stuffed and baked. Pies boast a panoply of taste, too, from sweet and fruity to savory and meat-gorged. Today we document and ponder a savory pie that can fit in your hand, a pie that defines community, made by way of a recipe that spans four generations. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South told through the foods we eat. We're a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and I'm John T. Edge, your host. Today we learn about barrecas from Susanna Capaluto. Susanna, when I logged onto the website for orveshalom.org, the Atlanta congregation, the first thing I saw was a big banner ad, kind of glossy, almost food-styled banner ad for these barrecas. The women of that congregation must take great pride in those barrecas. Absolutely, John T. The women at Orva Shalom really make these wonderful pies. And ever since I've eaten one, I've wanted to tell their story. It is not the kind of pie you can mass produce in any bakery. It really takes a lot of women and a few men, I guess, to make this pie. Great. I look forward to tasting them. I look forward to introducing our listeners to them. In 1932, Rachel Levy arrived in Atlanta with her husband, Sam. And all the people from the synagogue went to the train station to meet him. It was wonderful. That's Rachel's daughter, Grace Benader. She's 81. Her parents grew up on the island of Rhodes in the Mediterranean. My father, he came to America in uh, 19... He was uh, 1918. He was 18 years old when he came to America. He stayed here till 1932. He went and married my mother. He wanted a wife from the same country he came from. So they corresponded, and that's how they met, and they got married. It was an arranged marriage. Grace's parents were members of the Orva Shalom Synagogue in Atlanta. Orva Shalom translates to light and peace. The congregation was founded in 1914 by 57 Jewish families, most of whom had immigrated to the U.S. from countries around the Mediterranean. They're known as Sephardic Jews. More on that in a moment. We begin in the synagogue's kitchen. I am stir-frying onions to saute them, so then we will put the meat, salt, pepper, and let it cook, and then tomato sauce. Grace is stooped over several skillets full of onions sizzling on the massive eight-burner stove. There are some younger women here today, but Grace is clearly in charge. Somebody needs to open up tomato sauce. Sam, do we have tomato puree or sauce hand? I was married 59 years, and since I got married, I always came to help. So, oh, wait a minute, 59 and 3, 62 years. She's making a savory pie filling with a recipe that hasn't changed since her mom's generation. Today, the women in this kitchen will saute 40 pounds of ground beef from a local kosher butcher, boil eight cups of rice, pull apart 10 bushels of parsley, and chop 20 pounds of onions. Anne Benader is the president of the Sisterhood, this group of women that gets together for social events and to cook. These women have been doing so for over 60 years. Today, Anne, who is also Grace's daughter-in-law, is chopping the onions. We well, we just got a continuous feed food processor, so it cuts around. Oh, 
those onions. Ooh. Um, it cuts around 45 minutes off the process. And my eyes, I know, my eyes are killing me. At a sink nearby, Elise Maslia Meyer and Angie Maslia Leland methodically stem bunches of curly parsley. And we are going to tear it all apart and mix it up with the meat and the rice and everything. And this can only be done by hand. You do a big volume. Huh? Only by hand. Only by hand. Elise and Angie are first cousins. Many of the women here are related to the founding members, but there are plenty of newcomers among the 400 families that make up the Orba Shalom congregation today. She still comes over. We go there for lunch and stuff. As the women here work steadily, they catch up with each other. Despite the lighthearted chit-chat, this is a major production. The ground beef filling will end up inside small pies that are one of the synagogue's biggest fundraisers. They're known as burekas. They're sold frozen, by the dozen, in five varieties. Besides meat, there's potato, rice, spinach, and eggplant. Prices range from $18 to $25 a dozen, depending on the filling. People from across Atlanta, including Jews from other synagogues, order them year-round through the Orva Shalom office. Since they're frozen, there's no shipping. These burekas must be picked up. We need oil and a pitcher. These are meat directors, Sephardic dishes. Sephardic Jews, like Grace, trace their heritage to medieval Spain. In 1492, the same year Columbus sailed to the Americas, the Spanish Inquisition forced all Jews to either convert to Christianity or die. Many left the country and settled around the Mediterranean in what was then the Ottoman Empire. I guess in some ways, from 1492 Spain to Atlanta seems like an unbridgeable gap, but really isn't. That's Hazel Gold. She's a professor at the Tom Institute for Judaic Studies at Emory University. One of her specialties is Sephardic culture. After the 1492 edict of expulsion of Jews from Iberia, they scattered to many lands, and the Ottoman Empire welcomed their arrival, seeing in them an important source of educated, professional, wealthy contributors to the empire. They went to Turkey, they went to the ex-Yugoslavia, other parts of the Balkans, and eventually they settled as well in Greece, and particularly there were communities in Salonika and in Rhodes. Those communities were very closely allied with Turkish citizens, Turkish culture, language, but political complications in the beginning of the 20th century led many members of that community to leave their homeland. Sephardic Jews are a minority among American Jews today, most of whom trace their heritage to Germany and Eastern Europe. They're known as Ashkenazi Jews. The two groups have distinct languages, influenced by centuries of migration. Where Ashkenazis have Yiddish, which is based in German, Sephardic Jews have Ladino. Think of it as medieval Spanish sprinkled with some Hebrew, Turkish, and even French words, says Gold. What is very interesting is it functions in many ways like the cuisine, because the base came out of Iberia. 
but then just as new ingredients were incorporated depending on where the Jews settled subsequently, loan words came into Ladino language. So although Ladino has its base in Spanish, and that's why it's known as Judeo-Spanish, there are enormous numbers of Turkish vocabulary words coming from the period when Sephardic Jews moved to the Ottoman Empire, there are some Greek words. There are a number of French words because the Alliance Israelite was very important culturally and educationally in the Ottoman Empire, in Turkey, in other parts of, of the Mediterranean where Sephardic Jews settled. Case in point is the Boreca. The savory hand pies trace their ancestry to both the Spanish empanada and the Turkish borek. Boreka comes from a Turkish word, borek, which means pie. I would say that Sephardic cuisine is very much a reflection of mobility. Jews across the globe have often migrated, in some cases, to escape persecution or when they were expelled in their travels. They brought the cuisine wherever they resettled. They adapted to new ingredients, new modes of preparation, so that it's very much, I would call it, a kind of cosmopolitan cuisine. Recipes of that cuisine are collected in the Orvashalom cookbook called Come con Gana, which translates to eat with desire or passion. The biggest staple is Spanish rice, which is cooked with a little bit of tomato sauce. In the meat section, you'll find onions stuffed with ground beef and arroz con pollo, chicken and rice. Sephardic vegetables are mostly cooked and then baked in a base of onion, tomato, and lemon. I never met anyone that didn't like a bareka. <laughs> yeah, right. Corinne Russo sits at a table in the synagogue social hall with about 40 other women and a few men. She's here every Tuesday, the day set aside for making barekas. I've been coming for many years, one of the old ones. <laughs> and we're making meat barekas, and uh, we sell them year-round. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a great gathering of the ladies. We socialize, and it's good for the synagogue. So we get some young ones, and they're learning, you know, how to make it. We need the young ones, too. But um, the young ones in this case, how old are the young ones? Uh, <laughs> the young ones are still old. <laughs> In their 50s. <laughs> Corinne is surrounded by some of her older friends. They're known as the ladies, the ones with the most skill in sculpting the bareka. She puts a heaping teaspoon of meat filling into a four-inch circle of dough, pulls the dough over the meat to create a half-moon shape. Then her thumb and index finger work on the part where the dough comes together. We do the edging, which some people find it hard, but uh, they learn. And What's it's the edging called? <laughs> Repolga. The Repolga. Who can do the Repolga? Ooh. She does good. They point to one of the other ladies who's known for doing it well. That's what they say. They say that I am, but anybody can do it. <laughs> Explain it to me. I'm Stella Firestone, 
and the repulgo is the edging around the barreca. And you pinch and turn and pinch and turn. It's a shame there's not a camera there because I'm doing it with my fingers while I'm telling you about it. But anyhow, it's not hard, it's easy, and we have a good time, and it's social, and uh, that's it. Repulga is another one of those Sephardic words. It's also the edging of a Spanish empanada. While here, I get a lesson from Stella. It is easy. Pinch and turn, pinch and turn, pinch and turn. See how easy that is? This does take practice and a deft touch. And not every type of bareka gets this repulga. When I make them, I put repulgu on the spinach and the meat. I do not put on the potato. Both spinach and meat fillings can leak out, so the edging helps keep it inside. But Corrine says there's another reason to do it well. It's also a uh, Sephardic look, because that's what the ancestors did. And if you look back on old picture books, that, that they did take pictures of it. And that's, uh, you know, the look that we want to keep Part it. Of the art. What, what? We don't want to get modern, we want to keep the old tradition. Older Sephardic cookbooks and the website of the Jewish Museum on the Isle of Rhodes all show barrecas with a repulga. To give the barrecas a golden brown look, the ladies brush the dough with egg wash and sprinkle them with sesame seeds. Then they go on large greased baking sheets that are stacked up in a tall convection oven. We got them loaded up. Tilly Tenenbaum, who is manning the oven, has 50 years experience making borekas. She says they bake about 40 minutes, but she's not using a timer. She can tell by sight. In other words, the, the main thing, if they look like they're done on top, like for instance, this one they're turning sort of toasty. So we need to check the bottom to make sure. You see, it's almost ready. It's a little bit tan. It needs a little bit more. How many trays at a time do you have going? Well, one, two, three, four, sometimes eight or nine trays. In fact, we've had more than that. We've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. The shape of the Orvishalom Borekas is based on those made on the Isle of Rhodes, now part of Greece, as well as those from Turkey. But throughout the Mediterranean, these handheld pies have many variations and names, says Hazel Gold. They go by different names. Borekas is affiliated particularly with the Turkish Sephardic communities and as well some of the Greek communities. There are also pasteles, which comes from the Spanish word for pastry or pie, which was a, a variety of these pies that you find in Salonica, very similar to Spanish empanadas, again. And what's interesting is they take different shapes. You have half-moon pies, which are the borecas in North Africa and the Moroccan Jewish communities of the Sephardic Jews. They were shaped like cigars. You have crescent shapes and the dough varied as well. Some were yeast risen dough, others are similar to phyllo dough, and some is much more like puff pastry. All of it very labor intensive to prepare. Coming up, we roll and bake the dough and find out why barrecas are key to preserving Sephardic traditions. If you have a sweet tooth like me, there are probably cookies on your desk right now. For dessert tonight, I'm going to make both homemade apple fritters and a gingerbread pear upside down cake in my lodge cast iron skillets. 
Since 1896, Family Run Lodge Manufacturing of South Pittsburgh, Tennessee has been getting all the fixins, including desserts, onto our tables and into our bellies. For this, and for their continued support of this podcast, we thank them. Susanna, one of the remarkable things about this dough is how elemental it is. This isn't a dough that requires special ingredients. There are no big secrets. It's all about the muscle memory and knowledge of these women earned over generations. John T., that seems to be the secret. The consistency of the dough is as important as its ingredients. And to know that, you have to have experience. And that is what the women of Orva Shalom bring, is this experience of making this dough. And that experience is hard won. Um, A lot of volunteer work and a lot of caring for the congregation. Thank you, Susanna. And now back to our story with Susanna Capaluto. There is no big secret about the Bereka dough the Ovia Sisterhood has been using for decades. In fact, it's posted right on the kitchen wall. Seven and a half cups of water, two and a half cups of oil, one tablespoon of salt, and one bag of flour. Beth Arigetti is a dough maker today. She pours water into a pot. This is water. Then she adds the oil. Mazzola, and it must be Mazzola. The lady said it must be Mazzola and it must be white lily flour. It must be Mazzola corn oil. And salt. And you boil it twice. Why twice? Because the ladies told me to boil it twice, so I'm boiling it twice. We don't know why, we just do what we're told. And then how do you add the flour slowly in it? No, dump a bag of five pounds of flour and then pour the hot water that's been double boiled into it and mix it until it's ready. But we don't know why double boil, that's what we do. Do you know why we double boil it? I have no clue. Go ask, is Gracie here? Gracie. Go ask her. A big industrial mixer does the kneading job. For the answer to the double boiling question, I have to go to the experts, the ladies. Why is the dough boiled twice? Why is it boiled? the way we've always made it. Now the people blends in uh, easier. That's the way they made it in Rogers. That's the way they make it in Atlanta. Jews in Montgomery don't boil it. And it comes out good? They say it. They like it. They do not. I don't know exactly the proportions and what they do, but they don't do that. The ladies continue a lively discussion about the nuances of dough making between Sephardic Jews in Atlanta and Montgomery, Alabama. Someone agrees to ask a cousin there about their boiling policy. In fact, the first Sephardic Jews came to Atlanta in 1906 from Montgomery, according to the Orvashalom official history book. Now, to get the dough ready for the ladies to fill and edge, a group of mostly younger women sit at another table. They hold large biscuit cutters. I'm Claire Habeff. This is the most important table. Without us, the others can't fill their barrecas. We um, receive the dough here, and after we cut it and knead it, we roll it out and cut it into a perfect circle with these cutters. And then we send it to the other table where they fill it with the meat or whatever they're making that day. Sometimes it's spinach, sometimes it's potatoes, sometimes it's eggplant, but today it's meat. Claire has been helping on Tuesdays for 20 years. Ever since my kids uh, started going to school, 
and um, I was able to have my days free. I um, I started coming on Tuesdays to help, and it's been it's been such a fulfilling experience, and I just love being here. Stay-at-home moms like Claire used to be the norm here when Grace was a young woman in the 50s and 60s. Now, many find their way here after their careers slow down. But there's always been this worry about keeping up this tradition, says Jane Durham. She's working in the kitchen today. Because when I was a young woman, and I was, you know, a lawyer, and I was working in a big firm, and I was like, you know, oh, okay. And I, I thought, you know, this is not going to be able to continue because... You don't have the stay-at-home moms. Um, you know, my opinion was that it was not going to continue to the next generation. But, it, you know, it kind of managed to do so. And now it's a very, you know, it's a very, a very robust. It's, it's just funny that the, that the youngsters are, um, you know, many of us are in our 50s and 60s. Retiring baby boomers now fill out the ranks. Like Jane, many had come occasionally over the years or already knew how to make barrecas from relatives. Well, it's something I've always done. I've always watched them. I've always helped them do it. But um, to do it on the scale is really impressive. And that's another thing I love about here. It's just, it's all volunteer, and they're doing an incredible job of not only keeping this beautiful tradition alive and you know, providing this food, this soul food for people, but to... Um, you know, to provide it for people in the community or people who don't care to bake it at home, they can come here and get them. So, one thing I didn't think that I wanted or I didn't appreciate till I started was to be around all this feminine energy, all these females. There's something really different about a collaboration of women working together um, for this common purpose. And it, it makes me so happy. This is one of the highlights of my week. I just love coming here. Hazel Gold says that the bureka making at Orvis Shalom, this domestic work turned social gathering, reminds her of another woman's folk practice. And I think very much of quilting bees that are a feature of the South, where you get a number of women together who work on an equally labor-intensive project, quilting, but they do so, they talk, they laugh, they tell stories, they catch up with each other. There's a sororal bonding that goes on. And the preparation of borekas is something many hands make light work, as we say. And these hands craft a delicacy that holds much more than just a filling. Bringing together a community of women to engage in a traditional preparation of a food that has historic and religious significance to a community that now has been uprooted not just from Spain but then from Turkey and from Greece many centuries later and now finds itself here in Atlanta is a really striking example of how traditions are kept alive. And the sisterhood of Orva Shalom wants to unite women of all ages, professional backgrounds, and even nationalities by cooking on Tuesdays for generations to come. Thank you to the women of Orve Shalom Synagogue for their hospitality. 
Susanna Capaluto is a radio and podcast producer in Atlanta. She's also senior editor at the city's public radio station, WABE. You can find her on Twitter. That's C-A-P-E-L-O-U-T-O. Music for this podcast was from the group Saya. Give a listen to their album, Live at Barbas. Our theme music is by Wendell Patrick. Sponsorship music is by Jazar. Managing editor for this podcast and for all other SFA content is Sarah Camp Milo. Our intern is Robin Miniter. You may find photos from this episode on our website, that's southernfoodways.org. We might even post a Bereka recipe or two. Coming up, a taste of the next episode of Gravy. But first... Michelle and Robert Fayetto traded their deli in Ybor City, Florida for a food truck. They named it Michelle Fayetto's On The Go. The couple serves what they consider true Tampanian street food, Cuban sandwiches, empanadas, and devil crabs. In an oral history interview with SFA, the couple explains that their mobility honors the Cigar City's earliest street food vendors. Devil crab came into play when Tampa was at its worst, and it ended up showing us that, you know, you can't get us down. You know, we'll make something out of anything. Now we're in our food truck, and now we're selling Tampanian cuisine, which it is street food. It's been street food for over 100 years. Ain't that neat? You know, I think so. To learn more about the Fayettos and our Tampa Devil Crabs project, visit southernfoodways.org. While you're online, we ask that you consider becoming a member. Membership dollars support all SFA work, including oral histories and this gravy podcast. Coming up on Gravy try out the shad and were some of the only non-locals in attendance. They were eager to get their first taste. Bony, oily, salty. I love it. I love it. I really do. I may have to grind up and spit out the bones, but I like it. The ebb and flow of shad in Virginia. Producer Jackie Snow explores the past, present, and future of the founding fish. That's next time on Gravy. Please remember, as you go about your day, make cornbread, not war.